For our timely topic today, I'm joined by Amy Betts, our Chief Compliance Officer here at Benedetti Guser & Associates and Beam Wealth Advisors. We wanted to cover a few different topics that we thought would be very important for both our clients and listeners in order to protect their private information. And I think Amy is a great guest to, to help accomplish that. First, we want to start with an icebreaker, of course. Um, and so our icebreaker today is something that's on your bucket list. You can take this in any direction you want. It could be travel related, maybe something you've always wanted to do, whether I know skydiving is the, the, the bucket list that everyone always goes with. But, but what about you, Amy? What's, what's something on your bucket list? Thanks. Um, you kind of stole my thunder with the skydiving. So I'm, <laughs> so I'm going to uh, go ahead and say I would like to see the Aurora Borealis. Um, I'd like to travel um, with two kids. It's kind of nice to leave home, leave them and visit. So I think just travel overall uh, without kids yeah. is on my bucket list. <laughs> Is there a certain spot or, or somewhere that you want to go? I think any country. I really would like to visit any country. Um, Australia okay. is probably top of the list. Yeah. Yeah. Now, Australia would be incredible. It's it's always been somewhere that's been on my bucket list in, in terms of travel. Um, I know it's just tough with such a long flight and you have to add some extra couple of days. Um, the whole winter and summer thing can throw you off. But I think if you set the right amount of time, it's it's truly an awesome, awesome trip. Definitely want to visit New Zealand out there as well. Yes. Well, let's get into it. Hello, and welcome to the Map Your Money podcast, a production of BGA Teams. We exist to simplify the lives of our clients and listeners and help you lay the course to meet your financial goals. Content is for educational purposes only. Consult a financial advisor or conduct your own due diligence of investing. Calls are pre-screened and the show was pre-recorded earlier this week. Amy, I know there is a ton of information and resources that you provide to us uh, as advisors and as a team to make sure that, that we're protecting client info um, and really doing all that we can do on our end. But I know there's also a bunch of ways that clients and listeners can make sure that their personal information is protected. Uh, and I think now more than ever, it's it's extremely important to talk about that. So what are a few ways or, or ways you think that, that clients, listeners, and individuals can, can truly protect their personal information? Well, th um, thanks for having me. I agree. It's a very hot topic. Um, regulators are focusing a lot on firms, whether it's broker-dealers, investment advisors, banks, um, it really don't regulate individuals. Um, but I think it's really important for clients themselves to understand that when they are giving information to companies, they need to know what they're giving and who they're giving it to. That's why we have privacy policies at firms so we can tell clients what we're sharing, who we're sharing it with, and limit how we're sharing that information if they want. Um, so the biggest thing I would say is that clients need to know that firms are responsible to make sure that we protect personally identifiable information for clients. And so what that is, is information that when used alone or with other relevant information can help identify an individual. Easy for people to hack in, find out person's full name. Um, email address can sometimes be someone's login. So that could possibly be an identifiable information. Um, social security, obviously, date of birth, any of those combined can help somebody hack in and potentially um, take somebody's identity. So it's really important that clients understand when they're giving information to firms that they are encrypting that information or sharing it um, securely. 
so how how do how do clients do that? Let's say they're they're sending a statement or or something like that. What's the best way to make sure that that's protected? The best way is to make sure that the email is encrypted. Um, many companies, banks, our firm um, will use a secure email system, so they make sure that they're attaching documents to a secure email. Um, if they're not sure when they're sending, they can definitely ask the company. Um, many companies have their own client portal where you can upload information directly to the company. Company. And last resort, they could always send a password protective PDF file um, and, or Word document or whatever it is to somebody. And then in a separate email or a phone call, they say, hey, this is the password to open it up. But that's kind of last resort. Um, I wouldn't say that's the best process, but if somebody that doesn't, um, if they're sending information to a bank or an investment advisor or even an insurance company, sometimes they have secure faxes. Um, so you just want to make sure that anything you're doing is being sent securely. Yeah, I, I think that is a, a huge sticking point there and, and not really a practice a lot of people put into to place. It's not something that people think about. It's like, oh, this is my email. It's protected. I, I'm not going to respond to a phishing email and I'll be okay. Um, but even in a situation where you don't do that, I, I think it is extremely important with any information that, that has that personal identifiable information, whether it's your social, your date of birth, all of these things, especially like when we're thinking like an account statement or your tax return or different things like that. Want to make sure you're, you're sending that securely. And again, reach out to whoever you're sending it to if you have no idea how to send it securely, because I, I'm sure that they have, I know we do have the, the processes in place um, to easily just respond to an email and make sure that that's sent securely. Yes. Um, yes, I agree. So I know, I know you also have some notes here about DocuSign Anything to note there in, in terms of how to keep that secure? Yeah, I mean, DocuSign does, um, they do a lot um, where you can attach files in securely as you're signing documents. So that is another high level um, system. A lot of firms aren't using DocuSign or they're using something else. You just want to make sure that you are using the real DocuSign. Sometimes I've seen a lot of phishing attempts with fake DocuSign. So you just want to be wary of that. Definitely. Um, and I know I mentioned phishing uh, a second ago. So phishing is basically just the, and I'm sure you can explain it better. It's the the emails that I know we've all seen um, <laughs> that are the scam emails trying to get you to to click on some link. Um, when we think about the first time we saw them, my my, my uh, first way of remembering is always the Nigerian prince <laughs> who needs you to uh, click on this link to to help them or or whatever it might be. But we wanted to bring it up because it's definitely evolved a ton from that Nigerian prince scam to things that are much, much more realistic. Um, and I know we've seen a ton here um, internally, but but I wanted to make clients and individuals aware of it as well. So any comments there on, on kind of phishing emails? Yeah, I mean, phishing emails have definitely grown in sophistication. Like you said, they became the unbelievable, hey, you know, I've kidnapped your son or your grandson. You know, they don't have access to email. Can you wire me money? To now looking like legitimate websites, legitimate companies sending you emails to click on. Mm -hmm. um, we have some software inside, so we seem to get a little bit more than most because we're testing individuals. Um, and many companies test to check to see that people are not clicking on phishing emails. But um, basically, um, phishing emails are an attempt to have somebody click on a link that can potentially reveal or have you reveal key information like bank account, full name, account numbers, uh, login information. So basically 
you want to make sure when you're looking at emails coming in personally, coming into your work email, you want to make sure you're always checking the emails sender's address. Um, the other day we had a, someone receive a DocuSign email and the sender was from, you know, I can't remember who it was. It was, um, like fit better or something.com. Yeah, and it was yeah. no relation to the person actually sending the email. So that's the biggest thing is checking who the sender is. Typically, if you're getting an email from DocuSign, it will say who the person is from the company sending it. Um, so if we were sending, it would say, you know, Amy Betts at BGA Wealth or, or Beam Wealth, you know, coming from um, at DocuSign. So you just want to check that. A lot of emails, when you're pulling up emails on your mobile device, that app window is so small, you can't see who it's from. So sometimes you may need to hover over yeah. the email address. So definitely make sure that you're verifying who those emails are from. I think that's a really good point on on the phone sides. But but I've, I've noticed that like, I'll, I'll get an email on my phone that could be potentially like a phishing email. Um, but before clicking on a link or something, you have to do one more click to see where it's coming from. So I think that is a really good point. Yep. Um, especially before you click on any link or, or send any information, make sure you're looking on where it's coming from yep. um, or who it's coming from. Yeah, I agree. Um, I think it's really important, uh, you know, as you said, do not click on any links at all in those emails. If you're ever unsure of an email, forward it on to your um, IT provider if you're at work or you can always delete it. Um, and if it's somebody important, you can call them and say, hey, you know, did you send me something? <laughs> you can verify before. Yeah. Um, but you can normally tell... Um, I do get a lot of emails forwarded from staff just verifying, but you can tell the language or punctuation is not clear. Um, there is misspellings. Um, typically, or, or you'll see that the wording is not in proper English. <laughs> it's very broken English, and there's a lot of misspellings, or it's from somebody that you would think... Um, doesn't it, it's not the flow of their natural email language. So those are all signs that you're maybe have somebody with a phishing attempt. Definitely. And, and I think that's really important to, to look for. Uh, another topic I wanted to talk about, something that I know everyone's started to get used to in terms of this dual factor authentication. Um, and so we started to, to have it on more and more websites. And it's, it's very important in touch on that. But I know there's there's also some other considerations, even with this dual factor authentication, that the individuals need to be aware of to make sure that they're protecting themselves. Yeah, I mean, I, uh, most companies are going to multi-factor authentication (MFA) codes, and basically what that is is an extra layer of security when you're logging into your account. So if you have a bank account, an advisory account, your brokerage statement, um, insurance. Um, credit cards, you want to make sure that you're setting up those accounts with multi-factor authentication. Basically what it's doing is saying, okay, here's my username and password. There's also a code that is either generated to your phone or it's sent to a device like an app authenticator um, that verifies your identity. And I've seen it where someone actually has tried to log into one of my accounts. It was a old account that I probably set up years ago, forgot I had. And I got this strange email and I went in and put the MFA code set up on. And then I did get an alert that someone was trying to use that password. Wow. Um, so it is, it's always a good heads up when you get that MFA code. Oh yeah, that was me trying to log in. Yeah. And one of the points I wanted to make there is I know in one of the compliance trainings that, that we did um, was talking about the repetitive, uh, okay, you, you have the MFA code in place, that, that dual factor authentication but these hackers or scammers still have ways of trying to annoy you in a way, just 
repetitively hitting on it um, to where you get notification after notification after notification. Uh, you deny it maybe the first four or five times and then you just give up and like, okay, I just want this to to go away and accept it. Yep. Um, but I, I didn't know that was a a risk or something that was being done. I could definitely see myself falling into that trap. So I thought that was worth noting as well. Oh yeah, definitely. Like I would be worried as you're getting, if you're like, wait, I didn't log into that website or I didn't log into that credit card. Why am I getting an MFA code? Ignore it. That's, I mean, it's definitely texts that are being generated by some hacker trying to get information. Um, so yes, there are times that you'll get those random odd texts um, for something that you're like, wait, I kind of used it. <laughs> Maybe I used it this morning. I'm not sure. But always, if you're not sure, disregard them. Exactly. And I think kind of on that same topic, it's just now all these websites are having different password requirements in terms of capital letter or symbol or this certain length. And I know it's getting annoying in terms of remembering all of these different passwords. Some websites require you to change your password every certain amount of days. And so I know it's something that I've always done in terms of keeping my password safe is by using a uh, certain software or app that keeps these passwords protected. Um, I know I've used Keeper personally, and then through the firm, we use one password. Um, we used another one in the past. Uh, so you want to quickly touch on that, Amy, and kind of the importance of, of doing that rather than just saving it on a, a Word document somewhere? Yeah, I mean, I think all in the past, we all started when we first got used to computers, we were all saving them as sticky notes, then realized, wait, probably not the <laughs> best idea. Um, so then we graduated <laughs> to either storing them in a password-protected Word document or an Excel spreadsheet. Um, but then it got really hard to handle. If somebody grabbed your laptop and it wasn't encrypted, they could easily hack into that information. So um, I think we've all grown in sophistication in password management. And I think the biggest take takeaway is use a password um, app that protects it. You have double layers. Um, you have a unique password in that password application that is different than any other password you've ever used. You want to make sure that's unique. You also want to set up the MFA code on that password product as well. Um, sometimes they'll give you a key that if you lose the key, you've lost all your passwords, which is a good thing. Um, you don't want someone to randomly get your key um, mm -hmm. and be able to access it. But you want those high level security systems that you can track those passwords and never ever use the same password on any website. Make sure they're all unique and different, which is why we need those password um, managers. Yeah. And I think one of the, the valuable pieces with, with those managers um, is that if you're setting up a new account or, or putting in a password, it'll give you a recommended password. And because I know it's hard to remember a million different passwords, but this will give you this random generated password that of course you're not going to remember, but it'll save into its software. And so whenever you log back in, it'll have it saved as long as you're logged into to that password yep. um, protected platform. So I think that's... Yep, you can definitely do that, sorry. Um, and do uh, you can also make sure that um, you're putting all the security questions in when you're setting up passwords. You can save those in the password manager because sometimes they're random questions. You're like, I don't even know what you know my first grade teacher's last name was. Yeah. <laughs> um, but you want to pick something random that not everybody knows because we're all in the digital space with social media. We're posting our kids' names. We're posting you know, our birthdays, our trips. So using something unique and using a password manager will help eliminate a lot of that. Definitely. And then the last thing I had here to, to touch on 
um, with just QR codes and, and if there's anything that, that people need to be aware of on, on that front as well. Yeah, well, QR codes really took off during the pandemic. Um, we would all go to restaurants um, when they were open and we could dine out and nobody wanted to touch menus that anybody else touched. So we all started using these QR codes. They really took off. Um, biggest thing is because there are QR codes and there's public places, hackers are going to be hackers and they're going to try and create fake QR codes. Biggest ways that we use QR codes are probably parking meters and uh, for meals at restaurants. Typically, your restaurants are going to have the QR codes on the table taped down. Um, never use QR codes um, to pay for things um, in a public setting. So be very wary if you're looking to pay for parking. There's been a couple cities that had issues with fake QR codes. You can kind of tell if they're fake. <laughs> if we're all in a rush, we're parking, we're late for a meeting, we go to scan the code, we enter our credit card information. Um, that's where they're going to log in and hack you. So just be very mindful of QR codes and where they're placed. Yeah, I think that that's very valuable. And they have become extremely popular and we, we see them more and more. So I think that is something that that's important for, for individuals to be aware of. Um, but well, I appreciate you coming on to the podcast, Amy. It was, it was great to hear your insights on how individuals can make sure that their private information is protected. And, and I definitely think taking some of these steps will, will definitely be helpful for our listeners. So thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Of course. All information provided through this presentation is for educational purposes only and does not constitute investment, legal, or tax advice. It is not an offer to buy or sell any security or any insurance product. This is not an endorsement of any third party or such third party's views. The information contained herein has been obtained from sources we believe to be reliable and is not guaranteed as to its accuracy or completeness. Whenever there are references to third-party content, this information is intended to provide additional perspective and should not be construed as an endorsement of any services, products, guidance, individuals, or points of view outside Benedetti, Gooser & Associates, and Beam Wealth Advisors. All examples are hypothetical and for illustrative purposes only. Benedetti, Gooser & Associates, and Beam Wealth Advisors do not offer tax or legal advice. Interested parties are strongly encouraged to seek advice from qualified tax and or legal experts regarding the best options for your particular circumstances. <laughs>